Welcome to Thought Revolution. This is a show for leaders like you who want to learn how to lead and manage in a way that expands your impact and influence. My name is Kristen Nebro and I am the founder of Impact Consultancy. And I'm excited to share with you my biggest aha moments and thought-provoking concepts that are designed to free up your time, your team's capacity, and your ability to create impact in the world. Let's go. Hey, welcome to episode 49. The year is almost over and we're going out with a bang. We have a fantastic interview today. I've got on the show Tracy Grove, and if you have not heard of her, you are going to be wowed by her. She is a speaker. She is an author. She is a coach. She's just come out with a brand new book called Taming the Sabretooth, Resilient Leadership in a Stressful World, and she is going to break that down for you. She is going to give you a ton of information here in the next half hour about what resiliency looks like in terms of building your leadership and um, deploying that in an organization. So this is a killer interview. I'm super excited that I get to bring it to you. And um, check out the show notes if you want to learn more about Tracy. All right, let's get into it. Well, let me kick us off. Tracy, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Christian. Tracy is awesome. Now, and and now, like, and I can say that because like I've I've spent some time with you. Um, and something to know about Tracy. So she's a speaker, she's a coach, but she is also an author. And we're going to get into her new book, Taming the Saber Tooth. Um, and her focus is on resiliency. And it, and it'll be around resilient leadership, but really resiliency in general, which I think is what's so cool about the conversation that we're going to have today. Um, but maybe you can start us off, Tracy, by telling us who you are and what you're up to. Absolutely. So you said it very well. I am a high-performance executive coach. I specialize in leadership effectiveness, and I write and speak on resilience. And really, over the past decade, I've been focused on helping leaders build resilient teams so that they can be more adaptable to what is a rapidly changing environment. I have a background in psychology and communications, which is a very interesting combination. And this enables me to leverage positive psychology, neuroscience, and cognitive behavioral techniques to help individuals, teams, and leaders improve performance. How did you end up with a background in psychology and communications? Like, what, what, how, what does that look like? Did you go to college <laughs> you're like, you know what, I just I want to know everything about the person I'm across from and then figure out how to mess with their mind through communication. Like, how does that, what was there for you? That was pretty much it. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I find people fascinating and I observe people around me not being happy and seeing a lot of stress and anxiety in the workplace. And I became fascinated with this notion of resilience and so wanted to get really deep into it. And so went back to school. I already had a degree in communications. That was my background. And so went back to school to get a degree in psychology exactly for the right reason that you said was to understand people more deeply and understand the, the neuroscience of threat and really be able to leverage some of those psychological practices to help people to overcome stress. How long have you been thinking about this concept of resiliency, by the way? It's been a long time. It's, I've had over 20 years in the corporate space. And during that time, I noticed how much stress and anxiety were increasingly becoming issues in the workplace. And over that period, I was really focused on helping to drive the story around culture. And I realized that I really wanted to help form and build culture instead. And so that really helped me to make the shift from the communication space into a more resilience focused coaching space. So for the last 20 years, really, I've been thinking about this, this notion. So it's fair to say you've been thinking about this since the nineties. Pretty much. 
<laughs> this is interesting. So, so I want you to get into the book for us. And um, because I think what's cool is you're going to be breaking down, um, you know, just the different phases of this. And there's, I yes. think there's four elements, right? So Correct. tell us more about this. So when we think about the four elements, the way I think about stress is in this idea of four C's. So the first C is really about communication and it's focusing on this notion that truth, truth and trust go hand in hand for employees and really in any walk of life. And the focus for this chapter is really around how do we bring clarity, humility and authenticity to the workplace and that starts with leaders and it starts with them being clear about three things. The first is their values and the values you have to be clear about because leaders are really expected to consistently demonstrate the values that are espoused by their organization and employees watch incredibly carefully for signs that this isn't the case. Mm. So, executives, mm -hmm. so executives are expected to lead by example and in order to do so, they have to trust their teams to do the same thing. So they hold their employees accountable for upholding the values of the organization. But in turn, the employees hold their leader, leaders accountable to do the same thing. So not only do they have to be able to communicate and be clear about their values, but they also have to be consistent. And this is through good times and bad. We all know when things are going well, it's easy to be aligned and congruent with our values. But when we have challenges that come up, it becomes more difficult to stay the course. So if leaders can demonstrate consistency during those tough times, they instantly become much more trustworthy. And then finally, the piece of communication, which is so important, is about voice. And this isn't only the voice of the leader, it's also the voice of the team. We all want to be recognized, acknowledged. We want to feel like we fit in. So if the, if the leader can gather actionable feedback from their employees, and most crucially, follow up on that feedback, it might be that they are changing aspects of a process or a system, or maybe they actually are articulating the reasons for not changing the process or system, but they're helping people to understand why they made that decision. By listening to the voice of the team, it gives people a sense of transparency and creates a leadership team that shows both empathy and humility. So that's what the communication piece is about. So if, if one of the things that's really important for them to do is, is give, um, give this trust. It's kind of a condition for building resiliency. Yes. Um, I guess what comes to my mind then is what is the capacity of the leader? What, what gets the leader there to begin to get them to even that starting point? So mm -hmm. do they have to themselves have to be uh, at a certain level of resilience to be able to even engage in this first seat? I think they do, but the essence of the whole book is that this is a learned skill. So it's something that leaders can learn, they can build their muscle when it comes to resilience. And this is a lot about behaviors. And it brings us to the second C, which is about challenge. So you talk about trust, and it's very, very important for leaders to be able to trust their teams to do the right thing. And strong leaders fundamentally believe in creating cultures that are adaptable to change, and in doing so, they're not afraid to question the status quo when things do get challenging. And this obviously takes a very courageous mindset, and it's not always an easy thing to do. But one of the best ways to build trust and to encourage your employees to constantly learn and grow is to foster a culture that embraces innovation and risk-taking. And that very nature of that is that it, you have to trust your employees. And this means that leaders have to build a culture that's open to making mistakes. It allows space for the employees to reflect on mistakes that they've made and really learn from them. And it creates this value system around learning. 
and it makes it part of learning rather than punishment. So if a leader can demonstrate a high tolerance for mistakes, they encourage their teams to be creative and innovative to solve problems. And we all know that innovation takes team effort. Nobody really gets anything done alone anymore. So for leaders taking a learning rather than a knowing orientation, becoming really curious and open to new ideas, they can give others an opportunity on their teams to contribute and shine. And if they can do that, that builds an incredible amount of trust because it also builds a sense of shared purpose and camaraderie. It's a difficult balance though, because for a lot of leaders, they want to be this hero that comes in and saves the day for their teams and has all the answers and can come in and just take care of business. But really what employees are looking for is not a hero. They're looking for an ally, someone who's going to fight alongside them rather than just come taking over and becoming a hero. So for the leader to show confidence in the team's ability gives that team the courage to make decisions and to act. And if a leader can respect the team's free agency and their innate right to make those decisions, they empower their employees to get the job done, show that they trust them to do that, when they still can hold them accountable for doing so. And of course, importantly, give them the credit when those efforts are rewarded. How many leaders do you think are operating from these two C's right now? I'm I asking you like a question that there may not be for, but in your experience. <laughs> I think very few are able to do this consistently. That's because, a fair answer. Mm -hmm. I think they're overwhelmed in a lot of cases with the day-to-day -day stresses, the difficulties, the challenges of business in a digital age. Also, it's a very difficult situation when it comes to employee retention, finding the right talent, even you know, helping that talent to learn and grow and hold them accountable. It's a difficult job. Leaders are not in an easy position. So I think a lot of leaders really want to do this, but for, for a great deal of them, it's a very, very big challenge. I can see that. And I appreciate the way you're framing that too. Like always again, respecting the leader, because I can imagine that there's just so much pressure for results. Mm. And when I think about these two C's, I mean, what you're positing is that the, the, I don't want to say long-term payoff, but it's almost like the payoff here is results, but like in the short term, like right in your face, especially with the daily urgency yep. might look like going the route that you just described. It, what I love about the two things you just shared is like, okay, because they're not sequential necessarily, right? This is, these yeah. are frames that in, in order for me to give trust, it's really, what I just heard you say, it's really a choice, but mm -hmm. in order to build that trust, I have to give it. And exactly. in the process, people are engaging now in, in learning, which is a risk, which, you know what I mean? So there's just kind of a cycle to it that you have to like maybe let go into and, and um, I guess trust in and really believe in. Uh, um, it's just striking just to hear that because I guess what you're, what you're sharing here is that you can get results, but what, what we really maybe want in the longer term is, is results as well, but like really building this resilience. And so it's, it almost takes like this, this leap of faith uh, mm -hmm. that, that touching the inner know-it-all or, or the, 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 the yes. voice that's, that's talking to you and just either going with it or going against it, depending on what it's saying. Absolutely. And I think um, you, you put it very well that there is this notion of being able to take the leap of faith. You know, there's a saying that in order to know whether you can trust somebody, you have to trust them. That's the only way you're going to figure this out. And so it's interesting when you come to leadership that there's a huge piece around vulnerability that is incredibly important. And this is probably the area that most leaders are the most afraid of. 
because they have this fear of being seen as someone who doesn't have all the answers and who doesn't have everything at the tips of the fingers and is able to just come in and make things happen and succeed. And so the third chapter was really around control and this is around overcoming fear. But before, before, can I just, that, that, but I think that's what's so paradoxical about this whole thing, like vulnerability to end up building resilience. But like the, yes, the traditional sense, like those two wouldn't go together in my mind. It's not a natural place for us. We don't want to be seen as somebody who doesn't have the answers. We don't want to be vulnerable because we're exposed. The irony is that for leaders who are willing to be vulnerable and acknowledge that they're human, they forge much deeper relationships with their employees and it strengthens trust. But it's not a natural space for a lot of leaders. It feels very, very scary. And it's understandable that it feels scary. Which makes challenging the assumptions, especially like your own oh. assumptions to find that courage just so valid. Sorry, I cut you off. <laughs> I just, you said that and I was like, God, those two things in my mind, they make sense. I have experience that tells me that's true. But when you first said it, I was like, those don't go together. Like, you know, when you think about nope. pairing two things that aren't alike, I was like, really, do they? It's, it's interesting. There are quite a few paradoxes in the book. One of them is around stress itself is a paradox because we need stress to be able to function. But the irony is that we only need a certain amount of stress over a short period of time in order to perform at our best. And the problem that we have is that we have ongoing chronic low levels of stress in our day-to-day -day lives. And that is what causes the paradox where it starts to shut down our performance and make it more difficult for us to, to excel in anything that we do. So would we need say, it. Would you say that we all have different like thresholds of needing stress? Like if I'm on a team and there's like four of us, would you say that some of us can, I don't know, need or can thrive on a higher level of stress for a prolonged period of time than others? Because I hear you say that. I'm like, Okay, like if I'm, if I'm managing that team, how would I know when we've all like, you know, reached our limit? It is different for every team. And I think it's different because of personalities. It's different because of life circumstances, experiences, all of that good stuff. The reality is, though, that for any of us, there's a level, there's almost a, an activation peak that comes when we perform at our best. And it's really about duration and in the, more so than it is about intensity. So it's really about if you have this ongoing stress that continues for more than just a few moments at a time, when you peak and you're doing a performance of some sort, maybe you're doing a great presentation or you think about a concert pianist playing a beautiful piece, they're at the peak of stress and they're also at the peak of performance. But when the performance is over, the stress becomes a lot more minimized and it becomes a lot lower. So they, they have these peaks and valleys in their stress experience and that's healthy and that's completely normal. It's when you never really get to come down into the valley and you just stay in this level of peak heightened activation that it's a problem. And you really can only see that when you start to get to know the people on your team. And for leaders, this is really important. Understanding what's motivating them, where they're having triggers that are causing them to be stressed and where you see those sources of stress starting to chip away at their ability to perform and perform well. And a lot of that, it is really reliant on having an environment that does allow people to make mistakes and not be punished for doing that. Yeah, because I, I can imagine like some of this just sounds like you have to have some self-awareness for yourself to be even able to communicate out like. Very much so. Wow, I'm feeling like, because sometimes when people get stressed, they just, they don't show it, right? Like right. 
So that's just, that's just interesting. Okay. I'm sorry. I took you off on a tangent. All of this is <laughs> extremely informative and I think is probably making a big difference for people who are listening. Um, and when I cut you off, you were going into a third C, I think. Yes. So the third C is around control and this is about overcoming fear. So we think about the underlying assumption of fear-based cultures. It's around stability and control and they value these things over innovation, flexibility and discretion. And this is a hugely toxic environment. And I see a lot of this in organizations because the fear is so pervasive that leaders actually can create a workplace culture of permissiveness and inaction. And ultimately, this can become something that becomes a bullying environment. So leaders have to be on the lookout for not normalizing this kind of behavior or indicating that it's acceptable by either implicitly allowing others to join in the bullying or even just failing to intervene. There's this horrible trickle-down effect that can be truly devastating in fear-based environments where you find people shutting down. They don't want to take a chance. They don't want to innovate. They may have some wonderful ideas, but they're terrified to bring them to the forefront because they might get criticized or belittled or even bullied into not bringing them to the forefront. And many leaders do feel vulnerable and so in becoming a, a fear-based culture, they don't necessarily have to show their vulnerability because they're seen as someone who always has the answers and through whom the answers have to always be sought by the employees. So if leaders feel vulnerable asking for help or admitting that they're wrong when they do make mistakes, they have, have this unfortunate capability of not allowing the innovation and the flexibility that their teams really look for. But if they can do that, if they can be vulnerable, then they strengthen integrity. They're seen as people who are human and who are part of the team. So when leaders can actually own their mistakes and learn from them, they gain respect from their employees. So if they can ask for support and they create opportunities for others to share their own talent and creativity, their employees feel so much pride because they're doing something that contributes to the organization. And if they can do this, they forge much deeper relationships. And again, it goes back to this notion of strengthening trust. So if they can overcome fear and control the distraction of fear in the, in the environment, they actually can harness the motivation, both for the leader and for the team, and become an incredibly productive, innovative, and flexible culture. There's that vulnerability again showing up, right? Where it just feels like, you know what? If I actually show this, people might not have confidence that I know what I'm doing. Right. Uh, as opposed to, you know, um, I'm, I've, I know how I can learn, right? Mm -hmm. And we're going to learn this together. I think that's fascinating too. So, you know, think about communicating and challenging assumptions and then controlling fear. Um, you know, I always, I, you know, I've heard once that you get the culture that you ignore and mm -hmm. you when you fail to address certain behaviors you reinforce them. And I just think, you know, I was listening to you, I was like, that's so true. And part of it sometimes is that we don't have the courage to intervene. And right. some of it is that we haven't really thought about, like you just said, um, or maybe we're blind to it, the kind of behaviors that we want. And so they, it's just fascinating seeing how this all kind of comes together because I could imagine you as a coach might be offering somebody who has all the answers um, or thinks they have all the answers and have to come from that perspective. Um, that casts a shadow on an organization that mm -hmm. could result in what you described. Um, how hard of a shift is that for someone who, you know, in your experience, maybe always feels like they have to have the answer and, and have the ability then to shift over time to someone who 
who doesn't and can also maybe just come from, here's what I need to learn and let me actually share what I'm learning. How, how hard of a shift is that for people? It's incredibly difficult. <clears throat> it's not a, a normal space for leaders to occupy. They've been, we've been taught as a culture that leaders have to have all the answers. That's why you're the leader. And employees, to a large extent, are very willing to step into the space where they will defer to the leader for everything and they'll take instruction and they'll just go through the motions. It's much easier than being in a partnership with the leadership in a lot of cases. And so you put it so well, this notion of the shadow of the organization. And to me, it becomes almost this, it's a third person in the room in some ways. So you're having a conversation with your leader and your employees and there's this, this third persona that's in the room, which is almost shutting down the conversation before it even begins. It's an incredibly difficult thing to do because it does take a lot of courage. And it takes a lot of courage, both on the part of the leader to be able to step back and say, I don't know. And on the part of the employee to say, I'm not judging you because you don't know. I appreciate that you don't know. And here's how I can help. So both parties really have to be willing to be, become vulnerable and become more connected and a lot more supportive of each other. And that's not something that in the corporate space we see a lot of because it's so competitive. There's so many difficult working hours. That's such a difficult, challenging environment. And people are feeling as if they can't show any kind of vulnerability because they'll, they'll become victims of somebody else taking over or being seen as not being good enough. That whole inner know-it-all, that inner critic comes out again. And I think it's there for leaders in addition to employees in every, in, and in every walk of life, that little voice that inevitably says to us, you're a fake, you're a fraud, they're going to find out you're not good enough. That's the little voice that stops us from being willing to be vulnerable and say, I don't know, but I'd really like to know what you think. Bill Marriott did a very incredibly good job of this. He would ask every morning in his Marriott hotels, he would ask his employees, what do you think? And this was a powerful phrase for him because he really wanted to know what they thought. And he would often implement changes to his hotel policies, etc., based on what his employees had said to him and the ideas and the suggestions that they came up with. So he had this two-way feedback mechanism, which became part of the culture of his organization. But it took him sitting back and really listening and not thinking that he had all the answers and encouraging his employees to come to him and say, we can do better. I can see how like that just becomes habit over time, habit over time. Yeah. But, but yeah, really just, um, and even coming from that place, because I can see folks maybe asking that question mm -hmm. and not really wanting to, you know, work through the answer because, right. um, yeah, because that, yeah, that, I mean, that it takes a certain level of trust. It's fascinating how all this just kind of braids together. So there's communication, there's challenging assumptions, there's controlling for fear, which really is, I'm hearing you like, it's all about the leader owning that for safety to be there, they have to keep asking, what do I, what do I or we as leaders need to be doing? Right. Uh, which is different than just expecting people to, you know, show up a certain way. Exactly. Um, wait, there's one more C, yeah? <laughs> yes, there is. Okay. I was like, wait, like, there's one more, there's one more. 
So the final C is commit. And this is an interesting C because it's really focused on how we nurture our recovery from stress. And this is really applicable not only to leaders, but anybody in all walks of life. You know, we all deal with these constant digital demands. We have these long hours. We have time away from our families. We juggle hectic travel schedules, work schedules. And as a result, really, we find that we're not working at full capacity most of the time. So often we're so busy filtering our reactions to stress that we forget that to navigate the day-to-day -day effectively and build resilience, we first have to take care of ourselves. So this section of the book is about nurturing our recovery from those inevitable stressors that we're going to encounter every day. It's never going away anytime soon and we know it's going to be out there. So how do we nurture our recovery from it when it comes up? It focuses on how we breathe, how we move, how we sleep, how we eat, all those physiological aspects of stress management. And these complement the, the psychological and the emotional aspects that we talk about in the beginning parts of the book. It's interesting, even something as simple as posture is something that we should be conscious of. It affects every aspect of our system, our pulmonary lung function. If you can channel your mother telling you to stand up straight, it's a great thing for your health. So it's all about how do we nurture our recovery? How do we get back out and recharge our batteries and get to, to feel a place of rest and relaxation and focusing on how we build ourselves up so that we can nurture our response when we do inevitably get hit by some kind of stressor that's unexpected and unforeseen. So this makes sense because it plugs back into the other three. I can't yes. do I can't, I can't come from and be the kind of leader I want to from those first three if I'm not taking care of myself. I, mm -hmm. I have a question. So, okay, I'm reading the book. I'm reading about all of this. And what if um, I'm sitting there thinking, this is fabulous, this is me, great. Or this is fascinating, this is not who I am. Like, there are gonna be people out here who are going to, sh to basically say, I'm built this way or I'm not. And I've heard you say early on, this is a skill. So it what is. is your experience having people really like do the work to build, you know, their, their skill around this? So you make a very good point. I think for some people, it will feel a little strange. Some people will feel it's very unnatural and that's okay. I think if we can be open to not agreeing with everything, that's completely fair. But everyone will get something different from these techniques, from these ideas, these suggestions and, and these, these stories. So I think if you can try out the ideas and the concepts that we cover and just see what fits your unique situation best, that's the best approach. And I always say to my clients or people who are in my workshops, look at everything that we've covered, look at all the bits and pieces that we've put together in this toolbox for you, but choose what works for you. Not everything will work for everyone and that's okay. But this notion of persistence is very, very important. For a lot of people, they see resilience and they think, I'll take a class, I'll go to a workshop, I'll read a book, and I'll tick the box, and there I've got it. I've become resilient. I'm great. Everything is fantastic. It doesn't work that way because life is changeable, and resilience takes practice. It's not about perfection. So when you do inevitably encounter your saber tooth, and you really want to run or fight or hide behind a rock, whatever the response is that you naturally come up with, 
you want to be gentle with yourself and know that this isn't about something that you just tick a box and get done in a day. It's about a practice. A lot of these skills, I'm still learning. I'm still practicing and I've been doing it for a long time. And it can constantly changes for us because everybody's situation is unique. So be gentle with yourself and just pick yourself up and dust yourself off and keep going when you inevitably encounter problems. So if, if I say to myself, okay, this is awesome. Um, I can see the, the rationale behind why I want to become more resilient. And I don't think it's a big leap for anyone to really as, uh, assume for themselves that they want to build more resilient teams, especially today. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think always, um, how do I go about like, how do I assess myself? Do I read the book and then just say, yep, that's me. Nope. That's not like, <laughs> how does that work? How do you begin to get a sense of a profile of like where you land with some of these, these elements? So the book does have a very brief assessment in in the front of the book for you to use and use that as a way to test where you are. But bear in mind that just because you come out as a four or an eight or whatever the number is you come out at, that's where you are today, right now, in the moment. It's going to shift. It's going to change. It's a continuum. So it's not necessarily that you've become the the number four and that's where you are for the till the end of time. So know that you can do a check-in and see where you're at multiple times and see how some of these techniques and and processes will help to shore up some of those reserves for you. And it should shift over time. So there are multiple ways you can check on this using the book, using the mobile app as well. But really, I would recommend that you just take a, a few moments to think about where you are, how you're feeling, get in touch with your own situation that level of self-awareness of understanding what's putting you in a space that is triggering stress for you what's making you not feel great when you can understand that and see that then you can start to think about how you want to address that in your life and as i said for everybody that's completely different so i'm hoping that the book will really serve as a roadmap for anyone who's looking to develop the ability to deal with ambiguity and change and adversity with courage and grace We all know this fear and disappointment and heartache. Obviously, we're human, but we also experience joy and optimism and happiness. And I want the book to be something that helps us to build a more optimistic outlook as a buffer when times get tough on us and help us to see more joy and more optimism and happiness in our lives. That is a big order, and that's pretty cool. Like, I love that that's the stance, again, that you're taking around this. All right, so I get the book. It's called Taming the Sabertooth, Resilient Leadership in a Stressful World, and we'll put the links in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, I can do an assessment at the start of the book, and I can always come back. I can always reference a book. I can always reassess myself. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me, how else can people learn from you? So as I mentioned, the companion mobile app is a great app. Uh, You can get the link to it in the back of the book. And that provides us with some stories, some reminders, and some practices to keep resilience top of mind. And there's always new content coming into that app. So it's always new and fresh. There are also in-person workshops that I do specifically for teams who want to establish the foundation for building this resilience at work. And by doing so, becoming a cohort that they can reflect and practice together and support each other along the way. So that's obviously available as well. I love it. Um, We're also looking to offer an eight-week online course so that you can work through a lot of these ideas and, and, and suggestions in a much deeper way at your own pace. So something that people can use online and can help to refresh some of the, the skills and the, and the techniques that they're learning. 
And of course, if somebody is interested in working with me privately, um, they can always schedule a complimentary initial consultation and we can see if coaching is a right fit for them. Beautiful. Cool. So there's lots of different ways to access you, go deeper from this podcast and just kind of be able to connect with you. Can I, I've appreciated this, this entire conversation. I think people are going to get a lot from it. Um, I really do hope that folks get a chance to read the book. I finally got my book, by the way. Oh, fantastic. It's here. Last time we talked, I, it was still coming and now it's here, which is awesome. Um, so I'd love to ask you, I didn't, I didn't ask you this before we got on the podcast today, but, um, just to you know be able to finish things out i'm curious whether it comes from the book or comes just from like your life or experience um tell us because i always like to hear this from people like what's like what's a favorite quote that and you don't have to be you can paraphrase it but what's a favorite quote of yours um that you find profound and, and why do you love that quote hmm. i think my favorite quote is probably that resilience is necessary of course for a warrior but lack of empathy isn't. Hmm. And that's by Phil Clay. And I believe that this is my favorite quote because it so nicely encapsulates the fact that we all want to be brave and strong and heroic and courageous, but we can't do it without being empathetic. And that's not only to other people, but to ourselves. And so that's one thought that I wanted to leave you with is be gentle with yourself. It's a journey. Enjoy the journey. It's less about the destination than the path that you take. And I think if we can really make a difference for ourselves, we can make a difference for other people around us. I love it. That's a great way to put a, a punctuation to the end of this. Tracy, thanks so much for coming on the show with us. Thank you so much for having me, Christian. It was fantastic. And enjoy the book. Oh, are you kidding me? I will. <laughs> download the app. I'm going to come knocking on your door. We're going to do some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all right take care take care hey tracy thanks so much again for just doing this i i i, I know it required a little more time on your part i'm looking forward to getting going and starting to you know edit this this afternoon but i just thank you so much for oh absolute pleasure i thank totally you for doing it again it. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah i'm so sorry no no problem at all it's joys of technology right <laughs> I guess I will send some stuff your way as I, as I mentioned last week, so you can take a look at it and, um, and hopefully we have a product that you love. Sounds wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Take care, Tracy. Enjoy the rest of your week. You too. Talk soon. Bye. Bye.